one, two, three. Yeah. Get myself situated here. I don't have the most conducive thing marked for keeping this thing going if I stick in my pocket, so I just don't want to pressure it to turn it off. But we'll give it a shot here. Okay, let me uh, let me open our time in uh, prayer today. Let's pray. Father God, we just praise you. Uh, we just worship you this morning. What a glorious morning of uh, just time we can just gather together, Father, in your presence. Lord, once again, we're just um, in awe of uh, just the goodness of your grace to us uh, and your mercy. And Lord, for the, the great, great privilege that we have uh, to be in the fellowship of uh, your saints, to be in the fellowship of your word. Um, and Father, as always, uh, our dependence upon your spirit in guiding us and uh, that just does unify us in so many ways. So I just do pray today that we just commit this time to you. Your spirit will lead and guide us uh, through this uh, continued study in First Peter. Father, it's been such a great, great blessing to us in so many ways and challenging uh, Nevertheless, and so we just do pray, as always, we just work in our hearts. Father, you'll stretch our minds uh, to know your truth more. And, Father, that we would be, as always, um, stronger. And that is as we prepare for what is before us, Father, as we endure through what we're amid, and that we can learn from what we've experienced. So we just do commit this to you, as always, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, we're, uh, we're continuing in our, in our study of First Peter, and we're winding down. It's, it's a few weeks to go here, and I want to spend a little bit of time on this, these last few verses, in verses um, 6, 5 through 11 specifically. But as I thought about uh, the title of this particular section here, that, which is these fundamental outcomes from navigating suffering biblically. We've had this particular <laughs> title for this study since day one. It's, never, it's always been up here, and we just sometimes we, we read it and we forget about it. And in many ways, Peter is going to bring us back to this and bring it home to us. In other words, experiencing the, the victory in this hostile world and a primer for winning the war that really matters. And I'm going to share some personal things up front. Bear with me because it, uh, it's, it has to do with how I can best teach something. But I want to give you some connection points, okay? So it may not be. Um, I grew up um, in athletics. I was a jock. Uh, always in sports since I was a little teeny kid. I just, you name it, I wanted to do it. Uh, baseball, everything. And so spending so much time... Um, in sports is that I have learned so much from sports. And specifically, the sport that I wanted to just kind of introduce you to this morning is the sport that I spent the most time in my entire life and is still involved in it, not personally, in, and that is wrestling. Okay? Now, I've got to define this because we have a misunderstanding of what wrestling really is. You know, we we think about what we might have seen on TV. The true wrestling you don't really see so much on television, but unless you're watching the Big Ten Network, you can watch some of the Big Ten college school, uh, schools. They do compete in wrestling. But it, uh, this was my sport. And I want to use this as an example for us in a couple different ways today. 
But in in wrestling, uh, the basic fundamentals it, it is a it's a it's a hand to hand combat type of sport. It's a one to one. You are on your individually. There is no else. You have a team, but for the most part, you're part of a team, and it's myself against an opponent. Okay. You always start in a position, a neutral position, and you obviously you start in this position where you start to spar, in other words. The primary objective is in a standing position is that we, we try to secure a takedown. And from that takedown, you score points, and then from that is that you control. And in that control is that you try to get the, your opponent to the mat with both shoulders down to pin. And so it is very physical. It is very, very uh, intense, and yet I think of it as what have I learned from this other than having two broken elbows, shoulder dislocated, <laughs> knee, knee having to be replaced finally after 30, 30 years of uh, arthritis and everything else, um, enduring those types of silly injuries, weight loss, and all the other uh, silly things. But what I think about it is, I'm going to use it because there is a, a passage that's one of my favorite passages and appropriate to our study today. It's in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Of course, emphasis mine. <laughs> For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness, in the heavenly places, Ephesians 6, 12. When you think about the title of this series, it is this hostile world. And what is it about this world that makes it hostile? It is sin. And it is this domain of Satan that is amid this that how do we navigate through that to victory? And this is what we've been talking about, Mark, right? For so, so, so long. But I love this passage because it gets right at the spiritual warfare that we're in. In fact, this victory in this world, in this winning, it's what really matters. It's how we get there. Now, i got to tell you something, is that um, as a wrestler, and in those types of positions, to, to win was not something that came easy, okay? Because you're always the same size as someone. (laughs) You're usually the same strength, and so therefore it is that person that is the best prepared that can become the victor in those types of situations. I learned that... um, I learned that tough lesson when when I wrestled in college, that at the collegiate level is that the wrestlers that are in high school, sometimes you have, you have a, you know, some are better than others, and you can distinguish those two. But in, in college, most of the people that choose to compete and carry on are usually people that either are crazy about the sport, like I was, but they're always very, the parity it makes it very, very difficult. It's not as it used to be. And so therefore, what I'm going to focus on in this is that, is that how do we prepare or best prepare in this environment that we live in. And I'm going to say it is the preparation. In fact, what I learned most importantly from the coaches that I always had was that it was the basics, the basic fundamentals that you had to go to 
which would drive you to success. In other words, when I was in a tough, tough match, it wasn't that, that special, fancy type of thing that would get me on top to win. It was the basics. It was the fundamentals. And I believe that these basics are really what Peter is going to drive us in conclusion towards. In other words, what are those building blocks, those fundamentals that he's going to reiterate at the end of this letter that you could go back to the very beginning and restudy the whole thing? He's going to keep driving to us to say is that what are those basic moves? What are those basic fundamentals, the fundamental attitudes, the things that we need to win that battle. In other words, to survive, to persevere, to endure amid the suffering, the trials, the persecution that is very obvious that these believers were in. In other words, Peter's putting on his coaching hat now and he's saying, okay, okay guys, let me go back. Just remember these things. Before I send you out there, I want to go through these fundamentals with you. That's the image that I had, and that's why I connected to this as we go through. And these building blocks, as it goes well, all the way back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6-7, is remember what he said? That Christ is what? The cornerstone. Absent Christ as a cornerstone of our lives, we have no foundation. It is... Irregular. We that was in that old study. We used this actually this graphic in one of my lessons to show everything has to be plumb and tied to that cornerstone of Christ. And so, in the verses of chapter five, verses five to eleven, where Peter is going to walk us through here, is going to say, "Okay, what are those fundamental building blocks that are connected to Christ, the cornerstone that we need to have in our life? To they become the go-to's." every single day to deal with the distress, the trial, the tribulation, the suffering, unto victory. And so the title is, is that those fundamental outcomes is that that's how you win. Is if we learn to engage those in our lives, we, it's spiritual maturity is what it looks like. In other words, you become a good wrestler. You become effective And so therefore, as believers, you become more effective amid these circumstances in many ways. You are discerning of them. You see them. You have a perspective of what that represents spiritually. And you see the warfare that is going to go against all of what you believe to be, what's your perspective. It challenges us. So, let's open your Bibles. Yes, please. The other thought that's coming to my mind oh. is, um, I'm not a guy, but my son is, and he, his high school freshman, we're talking about what you do in the off-season, but even, I'm not even saying like when you're not particularly going through it, but even like in the more the day comes and all, just whatever you do in that off-season. Oh, <laughs> that's how you grow. In other yeah. words, are you satisfied with what you had? Yeah. In other words, we're saying like, you know what? I was 500 this year. I'm good. That's good by me. Uh-uh. I totally agree. This is why it is a building block based on these things because I'm going to fail. And I believe Peter, our coach, has failed. He has some very specific things that he can always remember that he failed with 
that now he, he can say from experience to say, that's not going to happen again to me. I'm not going to let that happen. So what are those things that you can cultivate in our lives? And so what he's, do, he's going to do is say, look, it's nothing secret. It's not. You just got to get stronger. And you got to work the fundamentals, the basics, over and over and over again. For me, it was called the drill. Okay, It was the drilling. Because in wrestling, it's, it's repetitive. And so you would do the same move a hundred times. So therefore, you don't think about it. You're drilling that. It is the practice. It is the same exact concept. And I think it's an excellent point. In other words, these are the things that we've got to keep drilling into us. And that's all Peter's doing. There's not a lot of new stuff here. It's just coming back to the basics. He's going to hit him home with us. And embedded in all of this is right here. Is that I think this is key. Because he's going to say is, is that, guess what? It's going to get tougher for you. Because if you think you're getting stronger, is that Satan is just going to keep working you harder. Remember that verse, Ephesians 6, is that he, that's where, that's where the fight's going to be. And the deception that Satan is going to use, we're going to talk about that today in some respects, is the success that you experience. In other words, oh boy, I won. Congratulate me. Thank you. I did really good. You think you stand unless you, you know, this is when I'm going to go down because he's going to take you down. This is exactly the sense of urgency that I think is what Peter's message, Mark, I mean to cut you off. In other words, what I'm trying to get at is this vigilance only in the preparation or the practice where it's all the things in our life really is asking us why, but all things are spirit. So I, I just want to throw that out as a, as a possibility, back accurate, and there is that um, if we have a, a framework of thought that this transforms this completely to be all... What's, what's uh, the, our natural response is that this is not humility. This is pride. And what's going to be contrasted in this last section is, is that there is this really strong aspect of this as a key, two key starting points of that I believe are linked together. They're, they're one and the same. Foundation. Yeah. Of submission and humility because that in itself goes. Because if you get absent this... Even in this aspect of vigilance, it becomes a confidence even in saying, come on, I can take on Satan. That is, is not right. And uh, before we, we dig into that, is that part of what I wanted us to look at was that you could look back at that was what was Satan's downfall. It was a pride thing, but it was personal glory. It was the personal win. It was the personal success that drove him. Down. And so therefore, if he can get you liking that or focused on that and driving towards that, that's not the place that we need to be. So, the image, I think, is the, is the building block we see through here. So as we look at these, and, and again, the outcomes, again, how we navigate biblically through this, what are some of those fundamentals that to build on that spiritual maturity in the passage... Let's read, read through the passage, uh, we can, and we'll just hit a few of those points that we're going to cover. So if someone wants to read, you can read from here, or from your Bible if you have it, to kind of get us started again.
men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to them. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that help you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him. For he is sober spirit, be on the alert. The adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal will himself, perfect, confirm, strengthen, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. He starts off with these fundamentals, as we're going to touch on today, submission, where he says being subject to your elders, humility, uh, gives grace to the humble, to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. This casting of all of our cares... All of our anxiety on Him is this aspect of total trust in a sovereign God. The self-control aspects of this call for us to be sober, to be of a sober spirit, to be on the alert. This vigilance that Mark mentioned here, the vigilance from the standpoint of recognizing who your opponent is. The fortitude of being firm in your faith. And lastly, this worship. And so these fundamentals are just a few, but I think they highlight and summarize for us some of the basic fundamentals that Peter, I think, are the key takeaways in his closing. Uh, uh, we know that as he closes out this letter, in like in verse 10, where he's again, it's just the same way he started at the beginning of the letter when he said, look, you're going to suffer, but it's just for a little while. He concludes exactly the same way. He's gone full circle. So he's done his little... He's written the letter, and now he's coming back and he's saying, okay, this is how we're going to conclude this, tying it out. So our objective uh, this week and part of the next week is, is that as we look at this navigating through suffering biblically and these fundamental outcomes that are the building blocks for spiritual maturity, that it gets us to this place of humble dependence on God's sovereign will is that which carries us through the sufferings of this life to the finish line of faith. Here, here's a, a bunch of Fs, okay, to go with this. Sort of the fighting, fighting, or the, the fighting, faithfully fighting the fight of faith to the finish line. Okay? This is this athletic thing I'm trying to still focus on, and this is, I think, what Paul was driving in a lot of his letters himself, which was total humble dependence and trust in a sovereign God and He will carry us through these sufferings. It doesn't just happen overnight. Remember that. You do not... It just doesn't happen. These are building blocks. It takes work. It's the drilling. It's like what Mark said. It's just, it just doesn't happen. Just not... I got it. Okay? You have to spend time in it. I was, uh, I was sharing with Lori this morning because we were just chatting as I was leaving. And I said, I'm so excited about this lesson. And what I'm excited about it is that how I, it's my takeaways. In other words, it kept hitting me at certain places to say is that it comes to this very clear picture of what we all need in our own spiritual lives. It's all spiritual. Mark is exactly right. It doesn't matter the circumstance. It doesn't matter the suffering. It doesn't matter the trial or tribulation you're going through. It is what is that foundation in your life spiritually that allows you to see that circumstance, trial, suffering from a biblical perspective, a spiritual perspective? And it helps us then to see the spiritual warfare that is in opposition to that. 
that doesn't want you to go there. And I believe in Scripture we see that very much in Satan's M.O. with how he does it. And there's a lot of examples that we'll look at. So let's go back to these basics. Let's go to chapter 5, excuse me, verses 5 where it starts off. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. The first basic point thing we talked about here, this first basic fundamental is submission. He says, be subject to your elders. This was the whole focus of our study last week about leadership in the church and the importance of the body, the sheep, being subject to that. And so Peter exhorts those leaders, as we study for several weeks, verses 1 and 4, and now he turns to the, to the, uh, to the sheep, essentially, in verse 5. And this likewise, throughout Peter's epistle, it always represents a transition in the group. And when you look back at some of these passages, we won't go through those, but specifically he said, related to our relationship to uh, masters, our relationship to government, um, employers. And so this term submission means to line up under. It is that military term that means to line up under their leaders. It is their leaders. We are to be subject to our leaders in chapter 5, verse 2, is this particular first exhortation. And we kind of covered this last week. Submission is the foundation. Would you agree with me that submission was really all at the, at the core of what we saw much of chapter 2 and into 3? It was all kept going back to submission. A key, most important, fundamental um, starting point in any building block is submitting that. Submission is the opposite in this case, with humility and, I mean, uh, pride. So why do you believe Peter in this passage singles out younger men? <laughs> he says, likewise, you younger people, and so therefore, I'm looking around the room here, we're all excluded, right? <laughs> so, he's not talking to us. Thank goodness, right? <laughs> I would say it's an age in your Okay. I really like that. I think he really nailed it on that. The passage that I listed there, First Timothy chapter three, uh, verse six. Uh, it, it is the it's the chapter the section of First Timothy where he's talking about the qualifications of leaders. And what this is what he says to kind of build on this, but defining it can be differently. He says. Um, goes through the qualifications. He gets down to verse 6 as far as who should not be a leader. Not a novice. Not a novice. Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Interesting is is that, not that we're we're saying younger people or novices are the same as Satan, but what he's saying is is that they, it's pride. So there is a, there's an abs, aspect of, of maturation. I believe he is single. Now, it doesn't specifically tell us that. It could, it could, be, it could be these young deacons, for all we know, that are right there with him. But it, it, I'm, I believe, based on the fact that he's going to talk primarily about humility, is that I remember when I was 18... I was totally submissive to everyone. I never, you know, I didn't say a word, you know. That's what I, you know, that that was that that 
that time of our lives that we were, what, most challenging because we were prideful. We were right. Right? It could just not be like help disclosing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think he's got his reminders, and I think you're right. It's going like, uh, yeah, guys, let me, let, me, tell you about let me tell you, when I kind of messed up, in fact, when Jesus called me Satan, that was kind of hard. You know, I'm 16. I can do that right now. <laughs> it's important for us. as we, it, it is an aspect of your spiritual maturity. And I think that you've hit on a very important point. Where we're at in there is that we're always got to be reminded that as a younger person that we're still young in the faith, that we're growing. In fact, where, where he, Peter's going to take us is that until we are with the Lord and we, He'll complete it, He'll establish us, He'll finalize this, we're working it. That's what I'm saying is you're always, always drilling. You're always still in the match. Okay? It's, I believe it's a call for respect. It's a call for honor. As it relates to these younger men, it is this. We, see this, we look at leadership, this call to be submissive, we respect our leaders, honor them. It's a call to give deference to those in spiritual leadership. The people of God must learn to submit themselves to these leaders. Take a look at these verses here. I just put them up for you to kind of just and look at the commonality that you see within each of these. First Corinthians chapter sixteen, verses fifteen and sixteen. Paul writes, Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Archaea, and they that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. Can you see Paul? What he's saying is, is that he's like he's coaching them up, saying, "Look, you guys got you got to know this. Submit to the to them. You guys know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits." And so he says, "Look." Be in subjection to such men and to everyone. So sometimes that's that exhortation that it's making for leaders, new leaders that are coming into the church. Saying like, well, who are those guys? Ephesians 5.21 And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. This deference to leadership is is that there's an appreciation, is that we recognize them. In order for us to appreciate them, we have to let our pride down, our perspectives, and we have to submit to that. And in, in that submission is this call for respecting and honoring. To malign no one. This is like to speak bad of. To take down, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Titus three two, and remember those in Hebrews thirteen seven. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. In other words, remember the people that had influenced you, had led you in the church. Imitate them. This is this responsibility that falls on the leaders, but. It is this call for submission. First fundamental, submission. Second fundamental, he says in verse 5b, to clothe yourselves with humility. 
You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility. You know, actually, I kind of skipped over this. I'll give you a chance to comment on this. I threw this up here, maybe just as a sounding board at this point. Would you agree or disagree that American Christians tend not to understand the concept of submitting to spiritual authority? What are your thoughts? We haven't suffered. And let's let's say you take what you know. I think you've hit on some very, very key current realities. The liberties that we have, the freedom that we have in this country, it's to the extreme that it, it, in fact, um, it's it's based on pride and success is what's driving it, which is the opposite of humility and submission, and so therefore it's it's in contrast. And in other cultures, because of the way that the the restrictions in that culture or whatever, even the government itself, it may you may look totally different. They don't have the same freedoms. But when you think about the fact is is that. Our culture, it's, it's, we all have rights, and we need to. We have this opportunity to voice our rights. I had a very my our Wednesday Bible study with the guys. We got because of this week's uh, states, you know, making same-sex marriage legal. We had a very interesting discussion about government and the Christians' role in government, and you know what, you know, and. Our flesh is like we're going to go and we're going to fight this at the same time recognizing the passages that God, God appointed leaders. God is sovereign over government. And yet uh, what, what that led to is the fact is, is that our tendency then, because of our rights and our, our opportunities in this country, that we can be a voice and we can kind of do all these things, is that we, we, we're not submitting. And so therefore, why would I act differently out there than in the church? All of a sudden, I have to now... Submit to an elder in our church, to Michael. He's a younger man. (laughs) This is exactly the point, and this is exactly what I feel why in the United States, specifically in America, this is where Satan is, he's focused. This is his attack. Take the different dimensions of the situation. It's the same kernel. uh, I totally agree, because... um, Satan doesn't want us to submit. And that's going to be very, very clear when you look at understanding what his uh, motivation is by, first of all, knowing what drives him. And what drives him is pride and self-glory and glory unto him. That was really at the heart and core of the very temptations that he did with Christ. And we'll pick those apart as as an understanding. But when you look at our country, where we're at, this is because of those those environments. Whether it is the workplace, it, it is, or in this case, the government itself. And what was the underlining message in all of those? Peter saying, "Be subject to those." And Peter was not trying to get them to be in a revolt. Here you had a government with under Nero that was. It's like Peter was saying, "We have no idea what's to come. The persecution is going to get cranked up that much more." And so, therefore. I don't want you spending your time and energy trying to revolt against that, but yet build on the foundation to be a testimony for Christ. It's almost like our society calls us to... We would agree. (laughs) Okay? We would agree. (laughs) Okay, so the the clothing yourselves is he moves from from submission, and and I'm going to submit that this is the twin. 
You had a point. I'm sorry. I, I, okay. They're just the twin. Submission, submission is really a twin attitude of humility. And so they're inseparably linked to an underlying submission is an attitude given to this humility. And just some of the, uh, you know, the passages that we had listed there in Psalm 25, 9. Let me just read a couple of these since I had them marked already. Psalm 25, 9. It says, The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. The Matthew 5, 3 to 5, that's the Beatitudes. You're familiar with that. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 is to, what, to walk worthy in a manner that is obviously based on humility. Because always the truly humble and only the humble can actually truly submit. Fundamentally, absent that, in other words, only the truly humble can actually submit. And this word of clothes literally means to put something on or to, to, to cloak over. And it is this example of this apron. So as we look at it, literally means to tie something on itself, such as an apron. And, and I would say is that this is the apron of the slave. That is it's a, the picture that he has here. And he describes it figuratively covering oneself in the attitude of humility as one who submits to authorities over him. Clothe yourselves with humility. Clothe yourselves so you're putting on this. You're putting on this apron of the servant. Clothed with humility. Now, humility defined is, it means sort of this self-abasement. It is this lowliness of mind. It is nothing of self (laughs) that is there. It is selfless. It's not there. Some of the passages that uh, sort of tie out to that are talk about, you know, in other words, we're not even uh, we're not even too good to serve. <laughs> we're just so low at this point. I think of the passages there. There, my, you know, I love the Philippians passage. I think probably the most in there. You're familiar with that Philippians two. Let this mind be in you, which was this mind of the servant, the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, also being the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. This is this lowliness of mind defined. Taking the form of a bondservant, as a slave, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That exaltation that God gives in Christ is what's tied out exactly in Peter's passage here. He says, God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. But he's also going to say, it's to cast your cares there, because God, he says, humble yourselves before the mighty hand, he will exalt you in due time. A similar type of parallel. Well, here's a thought. Do you think, Peter, do you think, Peter, when he made this statement to clothe yourselves with humility, do you think he had recalled the washing of Jesus? When Jesus did the exercise of washing the disciples' feet, Passover. Take a look at it. John chapter 13. You're familiar with what there, but I want you to pick out John chapter 13. Maybe he did. 
Maybe he didn't, but we can. (laughs) So, John chapter 13, verses 3 to 17. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he would depart from this world to the Father. Here again, Jesus is before his, his teaching, before he is going to act, he's again reminded about his whole departure. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. All things. Complete dominion himself, and yet Jesus was submitting himself to the Father's will. Rose from supper and laid aside his garments, and here it is took a towel and girded himself. This is this clothing. He put on a cloth. And so what Peter would say is, is that to clothe yourself with humility, poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with a the towel, which we know contextually within that culture was the work of the slave. It was the duty of the slave. Christ was also known back then. Teachers were more highly regarded than they are today. Over himself... Um, I'm going to add, add a preview of the message today, even. Because as I was studying Acts 28, which is Michael's going to hit on, one of the little, I like to read the side things, you know, like that, because they just, it connects me so much to the passage. But like Paul, he goes to get firewood, you know. That is not the work of a man to do. That is the work of a slave. This work of a woman. I don't know if he'll hit on that today, but it, I think of that it, the example that Christ set, Paul living that out himself. It's awesome. And Great. I think Peter, you know, he lived it. You know, there's some show on TV now that says the apostles and, you know, I don't get that part, but the law of the humility in the Our conclusion, we, we have the greatest joy now to read and study the transformation of, of Peter. Mm-hmm. We see it. We can go back and we can point to all of those things, even to the point where he totally missed it. He didn't get it. To what the le- the tough lessons to the, that the teacher went through with. The garden of Gethsemane. Oh. With the sword. Yeah. There's so many. Great reminders for him, but we see the transformation of him. And so it means something. It is real. Very, very powerful. I, I believe he is, this is just one example that he saw in Christ's life so many other times as far as being the putting on the apron, the worker, to be the example for so many. Peter goes from humility as it relates to one another, and I want to use this phrase of horizontally to vertically. You see how he says that again, and this is just my ads on that. See, he takes us, looking again at that passage where he says, look... Likewise, submit yourself. Be, yes, all of you be submissive, here he goes, to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And then he says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Is that Peter is going horizontal first. Do you see this? Live it out. And I believe, again, you're going to hear about the humility of, of Paul today because he goes horizontal. He does stuff. Then Peter takes this vertical under the mighty hand of God and he'll exalt you.
<laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. To reinforce his exhortation for humility, he does quote Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. 34. Um, and you have it there, that God resists the proud. But just so that you can do a, a finger comparison, because there is a little bit of word thing I want you to pick out of. Maybe put your finger in Proverbs 3 for a second. Proverbs 3, verse 34. <clears throat> surely, and again I'm reading New King James, uh, says, Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. So God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How does that motivate you? When he would say that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I do. This, you know, again, I like to, I like to go the horizontal, vertical way to, to, to look at these passages because when they motivate, what it does is is I can take it, let's say, from the standpoint of the horizontal, is that how many times in our lives have we been caught up in the pride, where what this verse is saying is that we are in direct opposition to God. That that's a, that's a very tough situation. That all of a sudden. It, then all of a sudden we get horizontal because what it's saying is that, you know what, you're not so good. You're not. You, you think you're pretty, pretty tough. You're not. That's where I find myself going horizontal with the humility because it's that, it's that reality of the fact is, is that praise God for His grace and throw in mercy to that because of the pride that's clearly resident in my life. Effectives. That's... Probably the the thing that God is teaching me in this study is the pride part of it, because we don't our tendency. I don't want to submit. I can do it myself, is what the kids used to say. <laughs> and I say the same thing. <laughs> Another frame of this is um, the walls of barriers. Valid. A little extra credit. Okay, I had to throw this in here because, you know, when you study a passage, you always, uh, this is, has nothing to do with, here's our passage over here, but I, you can see my note here, in the, this is a side note, Peter and James both quote Proverbs 3.34. I thought that was so interesting. How two inspired authors apply the same passage to two different circumstances. This is what's so, so cool. Look, just take, I want to, I put them side by side here, 4, 6 to 10. And the focus of that passage is we see clearly he's, he's using the passage in his, it's to the suffering. We know that in 1 Peter. But yet in James, it's to the apathetic. And so look, it is the same. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. Verse 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that He may lift you up in time. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. I want to talk a little bit about that as far as what the meaning behind that would be in a second here. And then this exhortation to be ready. Resist the Satan. Submit yourself before God. There's subjection again. Resist the devil and he will flee you. So I, I just, side note there, just to kind of so often when we study a passage and you look at and you just think about the, how even 
the timing of this letter to James's letter and the same exhortations, but yet how the Spirit of God, you know, Holy Spirit uses that even for so many circumstances. Power of His Word. It's kind of cool. As it relates to humility within Peter's context, is this aspect of humility. I want to build on four things that are characterized. The first one, it is a humility that bows to God's sovereignty. Where he, Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Okay, what does that mean? Under the mighty hand of God. We see that phrase many times um, in the Old Testament. Here are a lot of different passages that I kind of listed just some reference points. I won't go through um, all of those for time's sake, but when you get an opportunity. What are your thoughts? What does it mean, the mighty phrase, mighty, this phrase, mighty hand of God? He's overall. Okay? It is God's sovereignty. It is God's dominion that we see. Some of the, the passages that, you, if you want to try to like just connect with those specifically, he is talking um, about in like an exodus where he's talking about the mighty hand of God in this whole aspect of them being delivered. This whole, this, it's the sovereignty of God. What else? The mighty hand of God. Let me, I'll give you a, let's go to a couple of passages that might help then. Uh, to help us to get the second one. If you, we look at Ezekiel 20, I have, I'll read some of these passages since I have them tabbered. Ezekiel 20, chapter 20, verses 33 and 34. As I live, says the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out, I will rule over you. Okay? Another example would be in Job chapter 30. Job chapter 30, verses 20 and 21. I cry out to you, but you do not answer me. I stand up and you regard me. But you have become cruel to me. With the strength of your hand, you oppose me. It is it's the judgment in 4.17. There it is, you see. It's the very thing that Peter just explained to them in chapter 4, verse 17. Remember that passage there? Look at it. It says, it is this fiery ordeal that is coming, that is among you. Don't be surprised about it. It is this judgment for purifying. It is God's discipline. It is God's chastening that we see. And so it is this phrase of mighty hand of God. It is this humility that bows to that. It is that God is sovereign over it. And it is His mighty hand of God. So you see the connection to 4.17. It is a humility that looks to God and to eternity so that He may exalt you at the proper time. It is a humility that looks to God and to eternity. This one, I just want to Look at this closely. It says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And then it is a humility that looks to God into eternity so that He may exalt you at the proper time. So here's, I put down God and eternity. When you look at um, everything that He has been focused on to this point is, is that it's to the Christ's second coming. Okay, So I believe it is... Uh, 
eschatological. In other words, it is future. But there are also, we see where God does this aspect of the proper time. I believe proper time, or the, it, it means, at his proper time, it means the revelation of Christ, the future. But it is also, could we also say, is that it keeps us looking to God because God has a timeline for that trial, that suffering. That even in this lifetime, it stops. We, we get past it. And it moves on. So in other words, is that it's a humility that keeps us looking to God so that He may exalt you at this time. Is that some commentators would take this view as a sort of like, okay, this trial that I'm going through right now, this suffering I'm going through, it has a season. What the message is, the exhortation is that, look, God will see you through it. Ultimately, onto eternity, which is really the focus of everything that Peter is focusing on. But the truth is, is that we do see that God has a proper time. It's His timetable, not ours. We'd like it, the trial or the suffering to end right now, right? It's over. It's been too many weeks, right? Come on. But that's the submission part of it, the humility part of it, is bowing to that. Okay? Next bullet. Next fundamental. Casting all your care upon Him because He cares for you. It is this foundational principle, this foundational attitude of trust. Foundational attitude of trust. When we would see this as believers, to humbly and you know, submissively submit ourselves, they find that their strengths in the midst of suffering trials by means of a confident trust in God's perfect purposes. In other words, do I really believe Romans 8.28? Do you? <laughs> yeah? <laughs> God causes all things to work together for good. So do you really, really believe it? And as we endure humbly and submissively, we find that we gain our strength at the same time in the midst of suffering is that this aspect of trust just constantly gets challenged. And what it, unfortunately, because when he says to cast your care, this is this, it's like we're, we're putting it off. Off of us, onto Him. And it, this casting off is, you see here, it's an action that we're doing. We have to understand what we're doing with that. We're giving it to Him. We're not keeping it. That was the motion that you did. Mm. Mm. You would have like gotten that. <laughs> like throw it. It's not, and it's not just throwing it out there. It's like throwing it to a place He's calling you. Yeah, it, it, it's, uh, you can see how it's all connected to humility, though. I mean, and it's because I like, um, I like this aspect of the anxiety word that shows up in some versions of that, you know, where it says that you're casting all your anxieties upon him because that anxiety is actually what we see in this form of pride. In other words, you know, is anxiety a form of pride, yes or no? It is. I, I don't want to get into um, the physiological and genetical types of things that there's anxiety in how we respond to things, but yet look at it from um, how he is messaging that, and I like that word, because it is literally the cares or the anxiety of things that we carry is that we're not giving them to him. In fact, it's like saying is that I really don't trust you. I, I really don't trust you to have control of every aspect of my life. I want to keep these things. And I can do it better than you. I mean, it's about I can do it better than you. Which is just Peter, 
wouldn't the Holy Spirit wouldn't just give us a statement without him, you know, did he have a reference, a source? Look at Psalm 55. Do you think this was his source? Go to Psalm 55. It's worth a, it's worth a preview. It, it is a Psalm of David. And it's an interesting Psalm because get there first. David is like he's just pouring out his heart. Okay? And you can just see, just just read the first eight verses. Okay? And I, I want as we you read it, someone can read it please, is I want you to think about uh, any circumstance, any trial, a bad situation you were in, and you can you can see, you see the connection points. So just someone read it. Give ear to my prayer, O God, but hide yourself from That that's that's perfect. Just right to that point. Okay, can you you can you can apply that to any circumstance. I, I know what was really happening in David's life. He because he's going to describe it here is that he got backstabbed by a a friend, but yet you can apply it to any circumstance. That's anxiety. That's distress, isn't it? So you can take it and apply it to anyone. So then what he starts to do after that in verses sixteen on, now all of a sudden there is this change in perspective in his prayer of assurance to verse 22, which says, cast your burden on the Lord and He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. I think that that is a promise. That's not a maybe. But you. (laughs) Amen. Amen. It is so perfect. Yeah, I think he might have had that in mind. Or the Holy Spirit did, and I inspired him to do that because you could apply that first part of that psalm as David to any circumstance. And so, as I close out this section for this week, he exhorts us to cast on the Lord all their cares. Cares can include other types of descriptors. I've just given examples. It could be discontent, discouragement, despair, uh, questioning, suffering, trial, pain. Uh, yes and yes and yes. Keep going. So it is a humility that always forsakes worldly anxiety. It's, the, it's this opposition that we see where God is opposed to the pride. It is humility that is opposed to that anxiety. It forsakes that worldly anxiety. And it is a humility that ultimately rests in God's care. It is, like what you just said, I will trust in the Lord. It's the Philippians 4, 6. What? It says, be what? Anxious for nothing. Now, I'm going to pick up because the time where we're here is that next week um, you can look at your outline there. It's going to get to the next point. This is a very, very critical verse, verses 8 and 9 as it gets into this for the first time he mentions Satan. But before we get into Satan is that what I was going to walk us through and we'll start there next week is to try to understand what Satan's relationship is to suffering and how he uses suffering for his purposes. And that's kind of what we'll do as a, as a preface to 
getting into the specific verses on where he says to be alert and to be sober. We need to understand, it's just, I believe that too often, and we could do a whole other study, but yet it is too often that we just take Satan for granted. You, you, this, it's very serious to understand in the context of why Peter would say this, because I believe he, of all people, <laughs> he's the one that can say, what I'm going to tell you now, I fell to. I failed. Satan got a foothold in my life. And let me share those experiences. Okay? So, pick up next week uh, where we left off here. Any comments, thoughts, or anything? Okay, Mark, can I have you close us in prayer? Thanks. Father, we just can't help the life lessons that...